Well, it's good to see you all. Um, if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, yeah, my name is Jonathan. I'm the, the campus minister. Um, if you're not sure what RUF is, just uh, hang out with us a little bit. You'll figure out. We're a Christian ministry. We try to make a big campus feel small, um, but also look at God's Word and uh, serve each other, serve the campus. And so, um, uh, yeah, that's what we're about. If you have questions, I'd love to talk with you more about it. Uh, thanks for all of you for braving the weather tonight. Why is it Tuesday night seems to be the night that gets the weather, right? It's like the last five weeks. Something has like either been cold or wet, and it's been nasty. So, um, like I like I said, if you're going, if you're planning to go to Juarez, uh, the trip is canceled, so you uh, you have a free spring break, and that's dope. Um, we'll find something to do. I don't know. We'll do fun stuff. Um, so this last semester, we've been studying relationships. If you've been with us, we've been looking at how does the Bible talk about the relationships we have with each other and with those in our world. Uh, how do we navigate drama and conflict? How does the gospel of Jesus Christ give us hope, confidence, and power to navigate those relationships? And we've tried to look at more than just like what are the best practices in these relationships, but what does the Bible, that is God's word, actually say? Because you could go out there and go to a social class, social studies class, and get some idea about this. What we want to look at is what does the Bible have to say? What does God's word have to say about relationships, if anything at all. And the last, last week we started a two-part series on how do we get along with other Christians <laughs> because it can be really hard and frustrating to get along with other Christians. And we're going we're gonna to continue with that tonight, uh, with that question, how do we get along with other Christians, which can sometimes be so encouraging, so life-giving, so vitalizing, yet also it can be so disheartening and so frustrating and so hurtful. Um, and so we're going to continue that dis discussion tonight. And we're gonna actually going to pick up right where we left off last week in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, so as I talk, if you've got questions and texts, shoot me, in, uh, shoot me a text. Uh, my number's on the back. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dialogue about those after, uh, after we talk. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, what Paul is writing to in Corinth, but before we get in, I want to ask, a, I want to describe the situation that Paul is writing to in Corinth, because I think it helps us understand a little bit more what Paul is writing into, and actually that there's a lot of overlap between what Paul's writing to and where we live today. So let me describe a group of people to you. This is a place where people from around the area where the region gather. Their people are coming from, from, from outside of this place and gathering into this place. It's a place with a ton of opportunity to learn. They're coming in and they're learning a lot about uh, the human, about human and life. It's a, coming, it's a place where people are coming to learn about how to make money. There's actually a medical school in this place, a place where you can learn medicine. Uh, it's a place where you can learn how to make money. It's an early business school. It's a place where you can learn how to get the knowledge that you need to go out and then be a successful citizen. So there's a lot of talented people coming into this place to be educated and informed on how they're to go out. Now, what do you think I'm describing? You think I'm describing a college. Well, that is what a college is. That's actually what Corinth was. Corinth was that exact same place. There was a, there, Corinth was a place that brought people together in the fourth, right around when Jesus was in the 40, 40, 50s, 90s B, uh, AD, of people coming together 
And all of a sudden, they're learning, but they're also having to interact with each other. And the gospel comes into this place and starts talking about how do we do these relationships. And it's interesting because just like a college can have a lot of that opportunity, it can also have a lot of the problems that Corinth had at the same time, like social cliques and sexual exploration and sexual freedom that comes with a lot of hurt and lots of division around ethnic and social and racial and social economic groups. And all of this stuff is, is, is sort of happening in this combination. And that's exactly what, it's amazing how that sounds a lot like what we encounter today on a college campus. And that's what's happening. And this is what Paul is saying, okay, this is how we're supposed to get along with each other by the power of the gospel. As Christians, we get along. And so the main point that Paul is telling us tonight is that love is to be the most important hallmark feature of a Christian community. And without it, that, Christian, that community cannot survive. That love is the important hallmark feature of a Christian community. And so we're going to look at that tonight and see how he describes that. First, we're going to look at the necessity to love. The necessity to love. Next, we're going to look at the character of love. And third, we're going to look at the power to love. So the necessity, the character, and the power. So let's look at the text and we'll see what, what Paul says here. So if you have your bulletin or your phone, look, at, uh, look with me at 1 Corinthians 13. This is right where we picked, off last, picked up last week. This is God's word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Would you pray with me real quick? Lord, as we pause here for the next few 20, 30 minutes to reflect on your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you would set apart this time from all the information that we receive in this week as time where you can refine us, body, mind, heart, soul, spirit, into people who are more and more like Jesus, who are more and more loving. Please do that for your sake of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to start off here by looking for, at the necessity of love, the necessity of love. And uh, look, with, look with me at verses 1 through 3. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, if I have prophetic powers and understand mysteries, but have not love, if I can move mountains with my faith, if I give away everything, if I deliver up my body, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So he's saying here that love is an important, crucial feature of being a person. And here's how I want to think about this. Think about Tony Stark. Tony Stark, right? Iron Man, one of the most important characters in the, in the Marvel comic book universe, right? We all love him. He's been a great character. I feel like I've grown up with him. That first movie came out when I was sort of coming of age and watching new movies, Iron Man. And, and I just watched Endgame this year, and I cried through it because I was so connected with the characters and all this stuff. And uh, Tony Stark is one of our favorite characters because so, no other character gets like a dozen movies to present his character arc, and it's an amazing job that Robert Downey Jr. does. 
Um, because he's such a great character. We love him because he's snappy, he's funny. In his own words, what does he say? He's a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. You know, and we love that about him. He has all the money. He's this mechanical whiz. He knows quantum physics. He saved the world a dozen times or more. And yet, there's something off about him too until what, the end of the end game, right? In a lot of ways, he's what Paul is describing in verses 1 through 3. Look at this again. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he knows quantum physics, he knows about time travel. If that's not prophetic powers and all wisdom and all knowledge, I don't know what it is. Look what he does. He says, he says uh, I have faith to move mountains. Well, I don't know if he has faith to move mountains, but he does move mountains. He says he gives his, if he gives away all that he has, he's a philanthropist. He delivers his body up to be burned. All these things that he has, he's saying he's basically, Tony Stark is that person. He gives, he, he does all these amazing things and we look at him and we're like, this is an amazing character. And yet what happens at the end of Endgame if you've seen it? What happens at the end of Endgame? Well, he's this gifted, sacrificial, brilliant character. And then at the end of Endgame, he's realized that the only thing that really matters is the love that his daughter has for him, his wife has for him, and he has for his daughter. His last words, man, I cried when I saw this. I don't know if it's because I have a little daughter now, but he, 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 his, he repeats the words that his daughter says to him when he put, tucks her in at night. He just leans down and he says, I love you 3,000. And he realizes that's all that matters. Is, and all the things that he has done in his life, his, his character arc of dozens of movies, of this talented, brilliant, gifted man, he realizes that the only thing that really matters, not saving the world, not being this billionaire playboy philanthropist genius, is that his daughter loves him. And that she knows that he loves her. That his gifting, his money, his fame, his talent, his ability, they don't matter if there's not this love. And, and I know this sounds a little bit cheesy to think about Tony Stark in this way, but don't miss the point. Here's the point that Paul is saying here. He's saying that you can be talented. You can have a full scholarship to New Mexico State. Heck, you can have a full scholarship to Yale University. You could be a 4.0 GPA student. You can be a student where the job that you want is hounding you down to give you a job or an internship. You can have all of these things, but Paul is saying here, this is amazing, he's saying, if you have all those things, but you don't have love for other Christians, it's a wash. It's worthless. It's nothing. In the Christian community, love for other Christians trumps all other values and gifts. That's an amazing thought. Think about what we're trying to do with RUF. We're trying to be a campus that is proclaiming what Jesus has done in our life. But if we're not loving each other well, Paul says it's nothing. It's worthless. Love for one another exceeds all the other awesome things that a Christian community do, can do. And this is especially true of a Christian community. Communities like this, like RUF or a church, we're not like a social club on campus. We're not like a company. Think about any other club on campus. Think about the rocketry club or any of the other clubs that you're involved in, the accounting club or the pre-med club or anything like that. All of those things can accomplish their purposes and people in the club can hate each other and it's okay. Like it's not great, but the club can get its job done. Or think about a company. My dad worked for years 
for a very successful company. He worked for a big company that shipped natural gas pipelines to over a third of America. He was really good at his job. And they got their job done, and everybody in the company kind of hated each other. <laughs> the job got done, but they hated each other. The Christian community is not like that. The, the, this community cannot function without love for each other. That, that, that a church without love is no church at all, Paul says, so that gifting, even exceptional gifting, something like Tony Stark, it will not exceed love. But minor love can overcome zero gifting. Great gifting cannot overpower no love, but minor love can ex overpower no gifting. Think of it this way. There was a, uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian community in a church, and there was this... Um, there was this girl who was involved in my church, and she was mentally handicapped. She had some sort of birth defect. I'm pretty sure it was fetal alcohol syndrome. So she, was, she just couldn't carry a conversation. Um, she came from a lower, lower socioeconomic class. She was a few years younger than me. She would show up to church often sort of unshowered and unkept, and um, she was awkward, and um, never went to school, never really had prospects to, you know, for upward mobility in her life. But y'all, she loved people in our church in an amazing, remarkable way. She knew everyone's name in the church, and she would greet. I went to a big church, and she would just run around and greet everybody she knew and give them a hug. And, and here's the amazing thing. I haven't spoken to her in probably 10 years. I haven't seen her much. I, I figured like she'd forgotten about me or something. I went home over Christmas break, and I was at our Christmas Eve service, and I'm walking out, and I just hear, Jonathan, I just get tackled from behind. And it's this girl giving me this hug. And I haven't spoken to her in 10 years. Great love can overpower what we see as little talent, little gifting. What does it mean for you? It means that you can have the flashiest faith in the world. But if you're not sacrificially and truly loving your brothers and sisters in the faith, it's worthless. And this, that, that means that if you grew up in a church, it means if you grew up in a church that, that you knew all the stuff, you knew all the stories, you know the facts, but if you're not able to care for those people who God has, like we talked about last week, providentially placed in your community, then something's up. But it also means that if you don't know all the stuff, if you're like, I don't feel like I don't, I'm not a, I don't, I don't know if I belong in this community. If you can develop love for this community, then, then, then that, that's, that's what it's about. And I have to say, RUF does a really great job of this. We're a community that loves each other really well. One of my favorite parts about being the campus minister of RUF is that I kind of get a bird's eye view of everything that's going on. I just get to see little pieces of this. And y'all, you love each other really well. You do. And it's really fun to watch. It's really special. I see it at large group. I see you when you greet each other and you give each other hugs. And you're like, oh, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're here. I see it when you spend time with each other. You, you, you cut out time in your day to be with each other in a way that you're like, yeah, you could be studying, but you'd rather hang out with, him, with another person. You minister to each other really, really well. Like last Saturday was a great example where the guys poured themselves out for the women in a sacrificial way. Their time, their money, their gifting, their energy. They poured themselves out for the women in the communities of RUF and, and, uh, and crew. 
Some of you may not know this, but there are 14 students who are on the ministry team for RUF, and they work really hard to make events like what we do last week and this week. They work hard to make that things happen. Or, or the, uh, the worship team. That's love, leading us in worship, setting out their time to lead us in worship. I see you all texting each other and encouraging each other, meeting for coffee, talking about life, talking about faith. Little things, big things, loving each other really well. And it's really encouraging and exciting to watch. And it's honestly, it's, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. And it's really encouraging. And at the same time, we all have work to do, right? <laughs> I know I do. We have places where, we are, where, we are, where Paul tells us we are called to love each other. So that's what Paul tells us. He says that a Christian community must, requires, it's necessary to have love. So that makes us ask, well, what is this love? We kind of have some idea of it, but what it, what's the character of that love? What is that? And so that, that, that's our second point that we're going to look at, the character of love. Look with me at verses 10, uh, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It, is, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what's Paul doing here? He's describing what kind of love it is that should animate, that should be the, the fuel, that, the, the water that, that the Christian community operates in. And what, you know, meditate with these on what this looks like. Think about this. Love is patient. What does that mean? It, mean, it endures the frustrating personality quirks and even the sins of others around it. Love is kind. That means that we grow to seek, we work hard to seek the best for your friends, even if it means your own cost. It does not envy. Love is not jealous of others' gifts or their possessions. If someone gets a better grade or is just smarter than us, love rejoices with them. Love does not boast. That one sure smacks in a college environment, right? Where everybody's trying to prove themselves in one way or another, academically or internships or you name it. Love does not exult in its own accomplishments in a way that belittles the other. Love is not rude. This means that we carry about our manners and our ways in ways that are tasteful and courteous towards others, not looking to offend them with off-color memes or jokes or cutting remarks. Love considers how to honor and dignify another person. Love is not irritable. It's not provoked to anger. It's not like this, this hidden, blistering temper underneath that just can blow up in a minute, kind of hidden under a facade of decency. Love is not resentful. In other translations of this, it says it keeps no record of wrongs. How many times do I file away a little person's sin to nurse back over my secret, secret dislike of them? Oh yeah, that one time they did that one thing and I'm, I cannot like them about it. And then verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What does that mean? I've reflected a lot on that this week. I think it means that love is sincere. Love is sincere. It means that there's a simplicity, there's a sincerity about Christian love, which is completely different from the world that we live in. Think with me about this. As I reflect on it, we live in an era that's pretty cynical, right? 
we live in a time and an age that's, that's pretty cynical. And by that I mean we're like bitterly skeptical of another person or another institution or another organization. We're distrustful. We're suspicious. We're always like, what's your edge? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to get on me? We all do this. Sometimes we're even proud of our cynicism. Like meme culture, don't get me wrong, I love meme culture as much as the Nebraska, but memes are super cynical, and we're all trying to like find the most acerbically cynical meme. Or we'll find another person, we'll size them up, we'll look at them, and psychologists tell us we do this. We can size a person up in like a half a second and put them into a category, and then we start to evaluate them, and we basically are trying to like run through the things, every behavior that they do that fits them into that category, we're like, yep, told you so. And anything that, that's contrary to what that, we ignore it, right? We all do that. And sometimes if we've had a bad or traumatic experience with someone like them, we immediately find things that we can just pile up and say like, yeah, I don't trust that person. Uh-uh, not good. This love that Paul is describing is not cynical. It's sincere. It generally wants the best for the other person. That's what he means when he says, love bears all, it believes all, it hopes all, endures all. Love hopes for the best in each person, even to the point of getting hurt again. And this reminds me this reminds me of a quote that I've probably read to most of you when I've met with you one-on-one. -on -one. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis, who was a really great Christian thinker. And listen to this. I'm going to be so bold to say I think this is, this is the quote. This is the most important thing that diagnoses and describes college students at New Mexico State today. Better than anything else. Listen to this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all attachments. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. Listen to this. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Here's the reality, y'all. You can't love someone and not get hurt. You can't love a person and avoid pain. Pain and love, they go together. It's just going to happen because we live in a broken world. And so many of us, we're so hurt, we become cynical and we're closed off and we're not willing, we get hurt and so we're like, that hurts so bad. I'm going to be a cynical, closed off person because it's safe, because I won't get hurt. I, I can't let that hurt happen again. And so we, we, we won't love. And so what happens? Well, Lewis tells us, he tells us that you won't hurt again, but you'll become a corpse emotionally, spiritually. And that's no way to live. That's no way for a person to, that's, and that's certainly no way for a community to live. So I ask the question, where are you cynical? Why? How did pain, how did hurt, how did even trauma cause you to become so cynical that you're not able to sincerely love another person? Now those are really important painful, intimate questions to explore. They're important, but they're painful. 
And if you're willing, I'm here to walk with you through them, to listen to you as you process those. Um, But they're important questions to ask. And I thought about this all week as I meditated on what the Bible calls us to do. I was cut to the heart about how many times I have failed to love you all and how many times I have failed to love my wife and how many times I've failed to love my daughter other Christians, and it all stings. It shows my cynicism. It shows my selfishness. It shows my unlove, which brings us to the last point, which is in the midst of this call that Paul gives us, the necessity and the character of this love, how are we supposed to do that? (laughs) How are we supposed to do that when we're all in this siloing in casket coffin How are we supposed to get the power to love? How do we move past our selfishness, our cynicism, to become people who can be loving to one another? How, When we're locked into a casket of our own attempts to be invulnerable to pain, how do we get out? Here's the thing. The only thing that can break us out of our individual caskets of protection is love. That's the only thing that can break you out of it. And here's the thing, someone has to take that first step. Someone has to move, someone has to say, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing to get hurt. I'm willing to love you. Because then once you know that you're loved, you can start to move towards others. Someone has to be willing to be vulnerable, knowing that they will get hurt. The only thing that will get through our cynical hearts is love. Great love. The only thing that will stop that ever-spiraling, tightening self-protection is if something outside of it can cut through it, can pound through that casket, and can create new life, can warm our hearts to begin to actually love one another. And y'all, here's where Christianity is unlike any other religion in the entire world. Because where is vulnerable love shown? It's on the cross. It's on the cross where Jesus, that Jesus was ultimately vulnerable on the cross. Jesus was ultimately vulnerable and ultimately hurt for you on the cross. Jesus was patient. Jesus was kind. Jesus was not envious. Jesus did not boast. Jesus was not arrogant or rude. He kept no record of wrong. And not only that, Jesus took all of our envy, all of our refusal to love, all of our pride, all of our anger, all of our cynicism, he took it on himself. That's that's amazing. That's the kind of news that can cut through. That's love that can cut through our self-enwrapped little casket and give us the ability to reach out and love one another. Think of this way. Jesus extends the kind of love to us that we can so that we can extend love to one another. Jesus never had a cynical moment in his life. Despite all the pain that he endured of friends and family rejecting him, of his friends abandoning him, of the government abusing and oppressing him, Jesus had more reason to be cynical than any other human in the entire life, and yet Jesus was more vulnerable and loving you and me than any other person. Do you see that? If that's true, if that is true... If the cross is true, then that has the power to move in your and my heart to animate us to be the kind of community that can love one another vulnerably, sacrificially. Jesus is patient with us when we hurt each other, when we hurt him. Jesus is kind. He constantly works 
for our good, even at his personal loss. Jesus did not insist on his own way. What did Jesus say? Thy will be done, knowing it was going to hurt more than anything else in the entire universe. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things for you and for me. His love is the only love that can cut through our cynicism, our self-protection, and can empower our love. And that means that, this is amazing, that means that you can't become a, a more loving person by just trying harder. If I were to send you out and say, hey, y'all need to love each other, go try harder, that would set you up for failure. The only way that we can become a community that loves each other better is by studying, meditating, gnawing, kneading our hearts into what Jesus has done for us. And when, as we do that, we can become a community that loves each other well. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing when a community can do that. So we must study how God is patient with you. You must study how God is kind to you, how God keeps no record of wrongs for you. Jesus must become sweet and beautiful, enough to free you from yourself and empower you love the person that's sitting next to you. That's the power to love. The power to love does not lie within you of trying harder. The power to love is God's divine love cutting through our casket of self-protection with His love and motivating our hearts, warming our hearts to love one another. What do we see here tonight? We see first the necessity of love, that we are called to be a people who love one another uniquely as Christians. And that that love, the second thing is, that's, it, it, that's a hard love. It's a sacrificial love. And the only way to do that, the only way to do that is by studying anew, warming our hearts anew with what Jesus has done for us. All of the thing that Paul calls you to do with other Christians, God has already done for you in Jesus. Meditate on that this week, will you? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. It's amazing. It warms our hearts. It's good news. I pray, Father God, that you would, um, you would, you would warm our hearts. You would shine light into our little caskets of self-protection and that we would be people who are marked by love, first for you and then for each other. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.